to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, May 16th, we're studying Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. In today's text, Jesus gives the fourth of seven letters that John is to write to the congregations in Asia Minor. This letter is addressed to the angel of the church in Thyatira. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. It's always good to be back with you. So we get started today, Pastor Zimmerman. Let's talk a little bit about the book of Revelation. Sometimes this is a scary book. Why should we as Christians pay attention to it? Why is it important for us? Well, all of the books of the scriptures ultimately are going to reveal uh, truth about the person and work of Christ. So, so any, anything that does that, so, so like Old Testament books, they're, they're talking about the person and work of Christ, uh, what he would accomplish, although sometimes they actually speak about uh, the things he would accomplish as if they were already done, but they're, they're kind of pointing towards the future. Uh, we see this in the, uh, like the end of the book of Isaiah at times, um, uh, also like kind of in the middle of Isaiah. Uh, so you have that. The Gospels, for example, give us the record uh, of Christ's actions and teachings. The, the epistles help us to explain them, you know, kind of wh- why were they significant and so on. And Revelation is presented to us uh, information like that. Um, if it didn't, then it really wouldn't be of great use for us specifically as Christians. I mean, there, there are texts that can give us information about uh, life in this world, how this creation God made works and things. And we don't always have to go to the scriptures uh, to find those. Uh, but the scriptures do give us information about the person and work of Christ and its effect on our lives. Um, what is the outcome of that work for us? What are the promises uh, that are going to be completed uh, for us because he did these things and, and so on? And so that, that, that's the foundation of our faith. That, that forms what we confess. Because when we confess the faith, we are really kind of speaking back to God what, what he's revealed to us. We, we don't come up with it on our own, but God reveals things to us, and then uh, we are led to actually acknowledge that they are true, um, and not only that they're true, they're beneficial, they're accomplishing things for us, and that's where we put our hope. So anything that does that um, is helpful to us. Uh, the fact that they are actually directly God's words are even better. So, so it's not just like uh, someone's commentary on, on what God has done. Uh, Although that that's not bad either, uh, but when it's God Himself directly addressing us, that then uh, as we will actually hear in the letters uh, that that we look at uh, today, uh, if you got the ears to hear, you you really ought to be listening. <laughs> okay, so 
that that's definitely where revelation can be of value to us. Um, I will say, just kind of in my own uh, work as a pastor, revelation won't be the primary place where I first go to talk about the person and work of Christ. We will we'll start with the Gospels themselves um, because that's the primary source. That's, that's our, our primary record. Uh, we will focus on the epistles that explain it. Um, and then we will also look at Revelation as well. One of the things that I would say is a key, though, for us, or at least the way I always approach it, is that um, Revelation, anything in there, cannot be contradictory to, to anything that was laid out in the Gospels or, or the Epistles. And sometimes, uh, it should be charitable. I, I, you know, I don't want to accuse people of doing things falsely, but occasionally I think we do sometimes see some people within Christendom where they kind of have that kind of reversed. We'll, we'll find something in Revelation and then we got to kind of fit the, you know, the Gospels into it or, or, or fit the other epistles into it rather than kind of vice versa, uh, right. which is the way I approach it. Um, another right. thing, though, is like if you're going to study Revelation, you kind of have to know some of the Old Testament, though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because a so lot of these visions... Uh, that are in in uh, in Revelation that John gets are all rooted in the Old Testament worship temple, uh, t you know, kind of temple architecture, um, uh, Old Testament uh, cultic practices. You know how the Lord's people were worshiping Him of of old, but but are now fulfilled um in 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 jesus being being the object of that worship as well so if you don't know some of those things from the old testament you'll be you'll be even more lost um than anyone else so so there's perhaps a reason why it's book number 66 and you you really should pay attention to the first 65 as you get to that last one it's definitely helpful let's just put it that yes way. Yeah. that's right that's right and and to what you were saying that this is generally true of the scriptures not only of revelation but we want to let the clear texts explain the less clear text. And, and oftentimes, texts from Revelation are among the less clear ones. And so we use the ones that are clear from the Gospels, the Epistles, those in the Old Testament as well, in order to better understand what we've got in Revelation. So we have one of the letters to the churches today, the one to Thyatira, uh, which we will read here in a moment. Just give us some context. What's been going on in the book of Revelation so far in these letters and what John has seen so far? What do we need to know to help us understand this particular one? Well, to, to begin with, even before the letters are, are written, we, we kind of have to start with this appearance of, of, the, of the risen Christ, the risen and victorious Christ in, in vision to John, because in the letters... Uh, there's going to be reference to or allusions to uh, the description uh, of this risen Christ that John sees. So if our audience would, would go back to chapter 1 of Revelation, and they would look at like verses 12 through 16, there's like this just amazing description of the risen Christ. Uh, and it, it's, uh, you know, the Son of Man, he's clothed with a long robe, a golden sash around his uh, chest, and you know, he's got the, the hair like a uh, white, like wool on his head, white as snow, eyes like flame of fire, and so on. And those depictions or descriptions of the way the risen and victorious Christ, you know, the, the one who was beaten to a pulp, bloodied on the cross, um, is no more that way. 
Yeah, he still stands as the one who was crucified, but he is not crucified. You know, he's not dead. He's, he, he, is, he is living and victorious. And that risen Christ has a message or multiple messages uh, to give to his churches. And when those messages are given, um, th there will be allusions to this Christ who's speaking that you know, he is not a defeated one. Uh, he, he, he is not an inferior one. Um, he, is, he is not one who has you know, kind of lost some sort of competition with other deities that uh, people in Asia Minor would have worshipped or been devoted to. So that's kind of important that we recognize who it is who's, who's talking. Then in the letters, what you'll find is that um, in, in general sort is that Jesus is going to speak to these groups of Christians who are his followers, okay? So they are his disciples. They're, they're, they're not non-converts, okay? They're, they're not people who, who don't believe in him. They, they do. Uh, he's going to speak sometimes positively about an aspect of their discipleship, but he's also going to point out something that's kind of going to miss, something that needs a little bit of either correction or an adjustment or maybe a re um, like a reinvigoration. Here, here's what you were doing. You kind of lost it a bit. Let, let's get this back up and going again, uh, which kind of, honestly is, is kind of what we see some of the apostles doing in their letters to the churches. So uh, we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus does that too. He has to also pick up the, the 12 even when he was on earth. Um, so he's doing that. And then there's kind of like a warning or promise of some sort. You continue badly, here, here's what's going to happen. Um, you make the corrections or you keep doing what is good, what, what is in line. Here's this great promise that will be given to you. A benefit, which he can give because he is the crucified and risen Christ, because he is the Son of God, because he is the one who is supreme over all things, uh, because he holds all things in his hand. Uh, and, and so that's why it's important that we recognize just who it is who is speaking, the identity of the one speaking and what he's already done. And now, because he's already done that, because he has accomplished accomplished that victory, then he can grant those benefits or promises uh, to his people. Hmm. Now, each of these letters is addressed to the angel of the church, and we've talked about this previously, but I think it's it's worth at least a moment of reflection again, because the word angel is usually heard in a certain way when we say it in English, but it might not be that in this context. So as you hear Jesus speak to the angel of the church in Thyatira, who is he, who's he talking to? Well, typically in Revelation, if you're going to have an angel, you're going to, you're, we're, going to, we're going to think of like a celestial being, okay? Uh, uh, you know, um, a, a species of creature created by God himself that is not human and, um, uh, you know, it's maybe like disembodied or in incorporeal, I guess. To oh, there's, sure. there's the vocab word, okay? Yeah. Um, spirit, uh, spirit without a body, but a created being. Spirit without a body, a create, but a created being. And that's what we usually think of. Um, and they're scary because they, they, they do things we can't, and they, and they show up at times with, with great power. Um, but they also are ones who bring a message. And actually, that's really where, where that name angel comes from, angelos or angelos, uh, a message bearer or herald. Um, 
And when you're thinking of an angel of a church, that's kind of the question. It's like, well, is John writing to a celestial being who is connected to that church? Now, now some might say so. I mean, and, and that might be. I mean, there is that going thing where um, there's kind of the sense that perhaps every nation or every city or every group kind of has a corresponding angel to it. Um, you kind of think of, uh, I think it's what, Book of Daniel, you kind of have that going, uh, a going thing. Uh, so it is possible it's that. Um, it, I know some people have thought about maybe that you're like messengers that came from the churches and they showed up at Patmos and then like John is sending messages back. I mean, that's a possibility. I myself look at it, um, usually think of it as a, who's the one who's kind of the herald or the message bringer? Who, who's the one who speaks for the Lord uh, at a church? And really, that's what we kind of think of as the uh, uh, pastoral office, the, the, the kind of the apostolic office that people then are put into uh, in the generations that follow the apostles. So when I read these letters to the churches, that's usually what I'm thinking, though, is that it's probably not a celestial being. Although, I mean, hey, we, we might find out that it actually is. Um, but 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 I kind of think of it probably as uh, the the one who's the messenger or the herald of Christ in that place. Yep. Yeah. That's that's generally the way that I take it too. And and most of the guests so far have, have generally fallen that way. Although again, as you said, it could could be something different. Could be talking about the celestial being. But it seems likely in this context that we are talking about the pastor of the church to whom Jesus is writing through the apostle John. And so today we're going to hear the letter that's given to the church in Thyatira. This is Revelation 2, beginning at verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have, what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's our text for today. That is Revelation 2, verses 18 to 29, the letter to the church in Thyatira. Pastor Zimmerman, we've talked about the angel. Let's talk a little bit about Thyatira, the place where this church is located. What do we need to know about Thyatira? Well, like all the other uh, churches uh, in in this series of letters, it is a church in, in a what we would call Asia. Well, we, 
Yeah, it's still Asia today. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but we might call it more Asia Minor to talk and kind of focus its, its place. So it's so a Western Turkey on our current maps. And there were a number of congregations um, in those various cities in that region. Uh, it's a region where, uh, well, Paul had done actually missionary work. Uh, we can find that in the book of Acts where, where things uh, have happened. Um, and also a place that we actually believe where, uh, at least within kind of church tradition, where John was present, uh, Ephesus in, in, in part. Um, and so you do actually have a couple cities that people know uh, when you look at uh, look at them. Ephesus being prim primary, uh, Laodicea being another one who is uh, referred to in the letter to the Colossians, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, right. But here, Thyatira, it's kind of, I mean, it's a city, but it's not like the capital city and it's not the most prominent city. Um, not necessarily, I don't know if you want to say off the beaten path, but it's not, not the chief of cities, you know, although, although, you know, the, the Lord has a habit of not using the chief of cities at times, right? Like Bethlehem and things like that. Um, so it's not, not, it's actually of the seven, we would probably rightly call it the least important city. Hmm. Uh, but there's a group of Christians there. Uh, now, just because a city might be unimportant compared to others doesn't mean there aren't things going on. Uh, so one of the things that is noted there is that there were merchants. There, there, were, there was a, a whole commerce. Uh, bronze making um, is, is considered there. Uh, die, wool dyeing. Why I also mentioned the book of Acts is because we have this person named Lydia who's mentioned in the book of Acts as a, 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 a dyer of purple, right, uh, cloth. And... Thyatira, it's her hometown, because she moves from there to Philippi, where, where, where Paul gets to meet her. Um, so you, you do have a connection in that way to, to the other parts of the Bible, uh, a person from Thyatira. Um, there's also a thing there is that, um, that there was a temple uh, built to a different god. And of course, what happens is, you know, kind of as societies change, um, you just kind of can kind of morph your gods, um, that, uh, deities. So, so you get from this thing, uh, uh, Tyrimnos, that's where the temple was. And then, well, I guess Tyrimnos is actually Apollo because now the Greeks are in charge. Okay. Well, now when the Romans are in charge, well, the, well, he's not Apollo anymore. He's uh, Helios, the sun god, right? And so you just kind of, you kind of, you can swap things out when you're, uh, you know, kind of syncretistic and, Sure. And, 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 you know, have a uh, polytheistic sort of thing. You know, us who are monotheists and there's one God and, and he's timeless right. and changeless and thing. We don't think that way, but um, not everyone thinks the way we do. Uh, so you do have that present um, in Thyatira, but mostly it's going to be uh, the emphasis not on religion as much as like the uh, artisans and, and uh, commerce there. Okay, so a city of, of commerce, Lydia is from there, we know from the book of Acts. This is the church to whom Jesus is speaking, and as he begins to speak, he identifies himself, as he does in each of the letters. Here he particularly identifies himself as the Son of God, the one who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. How does that particular identification that Jesus gives of himself fit in this context? Here is where you might actually talk about the religious setting in part uh, of, of uh, Thyatira. So if you 
if you have uh, Apollo, who's known as the son of Zeus, right? You know, that's, we got to go back to our Greek mythology that we all learned in, in high school. And, uh, well, at least they used to teach it. <laughs> Who knows yeah. these days, right? The old Western Civ courses and stuff like that. Um, you know, so he's supposedly the son of the chief god and, and the connection to Helios then when in, in the Latin form, uh, the sun god. Well, the description of him, both in title and in appearance, the idea of, um, you know, the, the eyes of you know, flame, right? If you think, what would a sun god have, right? Well, right. If, if there's a sun god, he's going to be like the sun, you know, uh, and, and shiny and bright and fiery. And you don't want to stare at him because you'll burn your retinas, right? You know, kind of things like that. So the idea that you would have then Christ in addressing this group say, no, 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 no. Son of God is, is I. I'm the Son of God, and, and and the one who controls the the you know the sun up in the sky. You know, uh, uh, I made it, and uh, but I have a character even greater than that. You know, even even my eyes are is is you know inflamed like that. Then to talk about his feet like burnished bronze is where you might have a comparison to, all right, Thyatira, you're known for your bronze making. In fact, the burnished bronze term only really shows up in Revelation, hmm. uh, mostly in, in, a, in the Greek New Testament. Uh, and, and somehow kind of posited the idea is perhaps this was like a, kind of like a, almost like a trade name. You know, Thyatira, that's where you get your burnished bronze, you know, hmm. uh, of the product they make. They're his feet. Yeah, he walks all over it. He's, you know, it, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, my feet are like the bronze. I mean, let alone what my head is like and, and things. So, so, so the lesser part of my my being is is like your economic driver um, in, in Thyatira, and and it lasts long, and it's unique, and it's you know, it's got interesting qualities compared to other bronze, you know, but. I mean, that, that's, you know, my feet are like that. My toes are like that, right? Um, hmm. You know, my toenail is like burnished bronze even, you know. Uh, if you want to talk about value in comparison, you know, in comparison to who I am, this is nothing. This is not, and it's a way of speaking about supremacy. Hmm. So Jesus, in his identification to the church in Thyatira, indicates that he is above all all so-called gods. He is the true Son of God, and He is the one who has created all things, and He is the one who has all authority even over the most valuable things to the city of Thyatira. This is how He identifies Himself to this church. Now, as we've heard in previous letters, Jesus knows these churches, and He starts with a commendation for the church in Thyatira. In verse 19, He says, I know your works, and He mentions particularly your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and the fact that the latter works exceed the first. Talk about what Jesus commends in the church here in Thyatira. So Jesus speaks about these disciples of his. And, and when you're talking about uh, knowing your works, that means Jesus has uh, knowledge and understanding uh, of what they've been doing. And, and that's going to play into when he uh, also gives his critique. But here in these uh, kind of praiseworthy statements, um, Love, faith, service, patience, endurance. These are things that God has always commended among his people. 
He's commanded them. You know, he's instructed, this is what is to be uh, among you because this also reflects um, my nature, my character, uh, the character of love, uh, the character of uh, a steadfastness or, or patient endurance. Um, uh, this is what Jesus himself typified in, in his life on earth. And that's what he calls his disciples to. Um, as much as there's a salvation granted, okay, here's your new life, new identity. Um, I've made you right with God, um, but I also call you to imitate me. I, I call you to follow me. I mean, that's really what the following is about. And so here he's mentioning that these Christians at Thyatira, they, they've been doing this. And in fact, he's kind of says, um, because the latter works have exceeded the first it's like there's like you know it's kind of like one of those uh j curves in economics it's going up it's looked good this aspect of discipleship has been present and in fact if you compare it to some of the other churches that get mentioned a couple times like uh, uh love is kind of lacking a bit right you know things like that which which will where our audience members will will find as we complete the series of, of the letters um, so here they're actually being commended for this, this uh, good display of discipleship, which he has called them to. Yeah. So it was the church in Ephesus, the very first letter where the Lord said to them that he had this against them. They've abandoned the love they had at first. So there it was, they had started with a, a great love and then that's gone down. Here it's the opposite in Thyatira. Their latter works are exceeding their first. So they are growing in these good works that God has given them to do love, faith, service, patient endurance. And the Lord knows this. He sees this. He also knows the places that they have fallen and failed. We're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Luke Zimmerman this morning about Revelation chapter 2. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, May 16th. We're studying Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29 with Pastor Luke Zimmerman. He serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, we are looking at this letter to the church in Thyatira. The Lord Jesus has said that he knows their works. He commends them that their works now are exceeding the ones that they had at first. But as we've heard in other letters, there is a critique that Jesus speaks to this church. In verse 20, Jesus says this, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. You mentioned toward the outset of our conversation that it's helpful to know the Old Testament. 
give us the Old Testament background needed to help us understand this woman Jezebel that Jesus mentions. Oh, Jezebel is like, I mean, one of the villainesses of the Old Testament. I mean, this is uh, as, as much as some of the other male villains typify great enemies of, of God, great opponents of God. Jezebel typifies um, really kind of the maybe the one of the greatest female opponents of God. Um, Jezebel is queen of Samaria or queen of the northern kingdom. Uh, our audience members are likely familiar. Uh, the nation of Israel is split after Solomon and the northern kingdom. Basically, nothing goes well in the northern kingdom religiously. <laughs> I mean, it's just bad. Um, they adopt all sorts of foreign practices. Um, well, first off, they set up the, their own, like, sort of Yahweh religion, right? And after a while, we don't, we're not even bothering with that. Uh, we're just importing um, others. And part of the way it's imported is not only that you maybe take ideas from surrounding nations, but you might actually incorporate people from those surrounding nations. And Jezebel's one of them. So so she's this... Uh, um, woman from like Tyre Sidon, so so up up north, so the kind of the next kind of kingdom north. Um uh Ahab marries her, so uh becomes queen. And he is like, whatever Jezebel wants for her Baal worship will do, right? And and so he sets up temples and altars and things. And she does not like any of the prophets of Yahweh. I mean, the prophets of the Lord are on her hit list. I mean, and and not top 40, right? We're talking the hit list of like, we're going to kill them, right? And Elijah being like the, the one she really would like to get herself rid of. Um, and so when you have this figure from the Old Testament, I mean, this is be like anyone who's familiar with the, with the Old Testament history will know Jezebel. I mean, I mean, our Sunday school kids even learn about her. That, that's how much that's we, right. we even bring that in. Uh, because of her typifying something contrary to the Lord's ways and the Lord's teachings and persecuting or wanting to push out uh, the things which were consistent with the Lord's ways. Um, and that she's importing, um, importing different religions where you will grab onto things that are uh, other than the Lord. De devotion oh. to things other than him. Okay. okay. So this Jezebel. So if you're so going to talk about a false Testament. teacher. Yeah. So if you're going to talk about a false teacher who might be a woman who is leading people astray, who are maybe importing things where you might be able to accommodate other religions, other worship or devotion to other gods, she's a great person just to throw in there. This is not Jezebel like reincarnated or something like that. Is that the writer, um, well, actually the author, in this case, Jesus, um, through the pen of John, is using a term that people knowledgeable of the scriptures will pick up on and say, aha, I know what he's talking about. Um, and so, so they, apparently they there's be some sort to, of, yeah. Well, it's just that the, the congregation there in Thyatira should hear Jezebel and be able to identify the the woman whom Jesus is speaking about. Yeah, it should. Yeah, it, sh it shouldn't. It shouldn't be. You know, this is kind of like a two plus two equals four. You know, right. uh, th th this this is this is not 
uh, if, if you talk about the things that might be mysterious in Revelation, this is like, uh, like you know, level one, <laughs> you know, okay. level one symbology here. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so help us then to understand, based on this reference to Jezebel, the people in Thyatira are, are likely going to know who Jesus is talking about. What, what do we have an idea of is going on there in Thyatira that this false prophetess is leading? Okay, so the, the reference in verses 20 and 21 are, are the ideas of that she is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. If you are familiar with the Old Testament, again, some of the prophetic books, um, those are terms that are used in the Old Testament to talk about unfaithfulness, sexual immorality, adultery. Um, you are joining yourself you know, you know, use, using the image of, of the body, right? You, you, you know, sexual union, you are joining yourself to another thing. Um, so this has been used by the, by the Lord already in the scriptures as a way of like, you're joining yourself or you're associating with something other than me, something that's competing with me. And then the food sacrifice to the idols would be, well, part of the, perhaps the practices, although, uh, you know, again, there may have been a sexual um, overtone to some of them because that was part of some religions. Right. Um, but the idea that you would be devoted to or par participating in, in rituals uh, to maybe the patron god of your, you know, like kind of trade union, trade guild, uh, in these uh, banquets that you hold because you're a member of the guild and you go to these things and you say a couple of prayers and, and, and you do this and it'd be like, well, should I really be doing that as a Christian? And we would say, well, no, I mean, your, your worship is to be to God alone. So if you're offering these kind of prayers, you're like, well, you're actually attaching yourself, you know, you're joining yourself to something uh, a competitor to God in place of God. You're, you're cheating on God. If you want to use that again, kind of that, that, that marriage, adultery, immorality uh, image. Um, and if you have a person in the church kind of say, well, you know, we all know those things aren't real and they're not, it's no big deal. You just do it and you're, and you're not really believing it anyway. You know, you can just kind of maybe do that and it's a-okay and people bought into that. Well, you're, you're very quickly going to lead them to lead them astray because it's not going to be hard for them to kind of say, well, well, what else is too far? Or, um, am I really not believing this or am I actually kind of believing some of this too alongside my faith in, in God? And that's kind of the insidious aspect uh, of this type of accommodation. And that's a big question. I mean, if you remember, you're talking about people when they were brought into the faith. And we have descriptions of this, like in the book of Acts, where, where people, when they were brought into the faith, brought, brought into Christianity, is they were putting aside uh, even some of their livelihood. Uh, they what they burn all the magic books in Ephesus, right? They uh, um, they know you know the the making of silver statues and things to other gods kind of goes away, and some of the people probably were practicing that. They may have actually made their living that way, um, 
And so this, this is always kind of the big question. is like when I become a Christian, just how exclusive is this faith? And what sort of practices may I participate in which, uh, you know, contradicts that exclusivity? And that's, that's one of these ones that we still wrestle with today, quite, quite honestly. Well, and so if I understand the situation in Thyatira correctly, a lot of this would have involved the economic realities of the city, this, these trade guilds that you were talking about. In order to be a member in good standing of the trade guild, you would need to participate in some of these cultic rites to pagan gods. And so, it, and again, this may be oversimplifying, oversimplifying it slightly, but the kind of what's going on then with Jezebel is she's saying, well, that, that's fine. If, if you need to do that to, to make your living, then, then go ahead. It's not a, not a problem for you to, to compromise in those ways. That, that seems to be what's at, at stake here. And I, I find that quite striking in today's context. When you think about some of the ways in which it's becoming more difficult for Christians to participate in economic livelihood without joining in certain religious rituals— wearing certain, I'll just say, you know, rainbow ribbons, and, and not bowing down to that god of our culture, that we risk losing our livelihoods. And the temptation, I think, is there for us still to say, well, maybe it's not all that bad. Uh, what do you think, Pastor Zimmerman? Look, the church has wrestled with this from, from the very beginning. Uh, just the pinch of incense, right? Get the license. Ah, uh, you did your sacrifice. Okay, I've got the paper now, right? The these things, and this is this is where it comes into. It's like, are we, are we to the place where we actually have a first commandment violation? Yeah. Now, again, if there were like sexual practices is part of the religion, you know, part of the things. Like, well, you can say, well, we got sixth commandment violation. Well, okay, that that, that can't go. But it's the, it's the ones that aren't like clear like that. As the clear ones are easy. It's the it's the ones that aren't as clear it's like am i actually showing allegiance to another another deity am i showing am i putting something so maybe just for a couple moments i i i i'm making god like one b and this other thing one a you know and, and it is tricky uh it, it is a challenge i'm not going to say it's going to be easy and I, I hope our audience members uh uh, know that it's like when, when their pastors are trying to give counsel on this or when they're wrestling with this um, and we and we start saying it's like you know sometimes there's a lot of like I'm not sure and maybe I'm not certain but every time we start saying that and we start talking about we're coming to the line and it's like well maybe maybe our bias ought to be not the well I think I can go to that line and and, and, and stop but maybe it's like if, if I've got a qualm about it, they say, maybe that's actually the, 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 the spirit's guidance or a conscience guidance saying, yeah, um, maybe for sure a second look at that and maybe not trying to justify it is actually the proper, the proper yeah. route to go. And yeah, um, no, I, yeah it's hard. No, I, th I think you're right. I think you're right that, that when our conscience is, is speaking to us like that, that's our conscience doing its job. And, and maybe, you know, it's, I mean, I, again, I don't, I don't want to oversimplify what's here, but it it seems like Jezebel is the one who is is saying, "Hey, go ahead with that. Go ahead and cross that line. There's there's not really anything to worry about. Just go ahead and put the true God as as you said, one B. He's still one, maybe one B, but he's still one. That's kind of the the temptation that's there. 
and these I think are definitely things that we as Christians need to wrestle with. And again, I, some of those economic realities that it seemed to be in play in Thyatira are something that I think we are going to need to to continue to wrestle with as Christians and to to seek to be faithful to the way Jesus speaks to this church, so that we would you know not find ourselves or well when he calls us to repent as he called Jezebel and and those listening, we need to listen to that call mm-hmm. and not then receive the judgment that Jezebel received. So let, let's keep walking through the text here, Pastor sure. Zimmerman. What is that judgment that Jesus pronounces upon Jezebel for her continued lack of repentance? So he speaks about uh, throwing her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her, I'll throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. Um, these are, these are the, the language of condemnation. This is the language of, of this thing is going to collapse. This is judgment. Uh, speak and and we it, we, we shouldn't try to uh, um, you know dampen it or, or lessen it in any way. You say when I actually enact my judgment on this thing, it's not going to be good for her. It's not going to be good for those who associated with her. So if that's where you're going to continue in, then all that commending stuff I gave you it it's being wiped out. It, it it's really that. Um, this type of practice really cannot be tolerated and he will not tolerate. And that's one of the things that we, we find in the scriptures, the idea of God tolerating competitors, the idea, I'm going to share my glory with others who are competitors or challengers to me. Uh, if you think that's the way he operates, then then you really kind of need to read through the, the scriptures again, because that that is you really cannot read them and come to that conclusion. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He, you know, I don't share my glory. I will share my glory with those who are devoted to me. I, I will share it with those who are me or who are mine, who belong to me. And that's actually part of the promise that that we see um, in this letter when he speaks about those who have maintained their faith and devotion to him. Uh, but those who have set themselves up as like competitors or or tolerating the comp- the competition, he said, no, they're not going to stand. It, it, it's it's going to, it's going to be uh, negative negative judgment against them. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think what you said about the Lord, His willingness to tolerate, our willingness to tolerate should be the same. And that's part of the problem here in Thyatira is they are tolerating things that they ought not tolerate. Things that the Lord does not tolerate, they are. And that's the call to repentance. And Jezebel, who has been stubbornly unrepentant, despite the Lord's, you know, he says he's given her time to repent, but she won't. Those who continue on in that unrepentance along with her receive this, this great judgment, and they see just what the Lord's tolerance actually is for these things. At the same time, the Lord is calling those who still have the ears to hear, as we will hear later, he is calling them to repent now. So that is the situation in Thyatira. It is a very strong call to repent. The judgment that is coming upon Jezebel and those who have attached themselves to her false teaching, their judgment is coming. However, Jesus does speak that there are some who don't hold this teaching. In verse 24, we hear from Jesus, to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. What is Jesus saying there? So this is, again, commendatory. 
So, so right, I mean, so you had the opening, you know, commendation, good things. You got love, service, faith, patient endurance. Um, if that's what's marking you and you have not grabbed on to this false idea that the this whoever this Jezebel woman is ha has been peddling, uh, for you, there really is not another thing I need you to do. When that, That's what Jesus is saying. When I say, I, I don't lay on you any other burden. Uh, you have received the call to discipleship. You are carrying it out. You have shown your devotion to me. You are devoted to me. You haven't gone down this route that's been offered to you. Um, and so I just need you to actually maintain that. Now, of, of course, Jesus doesn't say I need you to maintain it and like, okay, figure out how to maintain it. I mean, this is actually, we say, this is actually the work of the Spirit within people, within the faithful, as they're abiding in his words, right? Um, we, this is kind of the stuff back when we had our study in the Gospel of John. You go into the upper room discourse and vine branches, the Spirit working in you, and so on. So as those Christians in Thyatira are maintaining that, as God continues to work through his word in these things and leading them in their uh, life of faith, they don't have to say, oh, well, there's something even now missing that we have to somehow find. No, no, no. You have everything. Continue on it. Yeah. And it's an exhortation that's positive, actually. Yeah. Hold, hold fast to what you have. Continue faithfully in that. In verse 26, then Jesus speaks to the one who conquers, and we've heard this language from Jesus before. Those who conquer are those who hold to him in faith as the one who conquers. But what you said earlier at the very beginning about Jesus not being the defeated one, but the victorious Christ is, is key to this language of the one who conquers. That's the one who attaches himself to Jesus, the ultimate one who has conquered. Here, the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, Jesus says, I will give authority over the nations, he will rule them with a rod of iron. This is a pretty extensive promise that Jesus makes. What's the background here? What's he saying? If we think of what is in Thyatira as perhaps competition, I mean, that's, that's what we've been going with, right? That, that you know, devotion to maybe other gods or things that are setting themselves up in opposition to him or in competition with him, um, that they, will, they really can't because he's, he's, he's a ruler. He's supreme over them. Um, that idea is not new in the book of Revelation. It's not as if we had ever seen that before. We see that all the way back in the Psalter. Psalm 2 speaks that way. Uh, that's about, you know, the nations raging against the Lord and his anointed one and, and, and things like that. And you get to towards the end of Psalm 2 where the, the Lord speaks about his son. And remember, that was the title, right? That, that's the way... Jesus spoke about himself in this letter, son of God, right? All right. So he says, you know, ask of me, I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And you take the language of that psalm, especially from the Septuagint, and it lines up right with what um, Jesus is saying here. He said that the day is going to come when it's going to show my supremacy. It's going to be unchallenged. There, all the competitors will be shown to have not met my level. And he says, the ones who are with me, the ones who have not set themselves up against the Lord and his anointed, but actually have received the Lord and his Christ, that's, of course, the anointed one, right? 
Um, those who are on my side, those who have aligned themselves with me, they will share in the day when the full manifestation of that supremacy is going to be shown. And that's actually what we're anticipating as, um, as Christ's people, just as the Christians of Thyatira, the, you know, so many generations ago, that's what they were anticipating uh, participating in. Because that's the way Jesus speaks about it, not only here in this letter, but also he speaks about like his apostles, you know, they're going to be set on thrones, right? And, and, and so on. So, so that, that's, what, um, um, that, that's what he is setting up and he's, he's, he's dropped the promise again. And of course, it's the risen, victorious Christ who says these things. The one who is yeah. truly is the son of God who says these things. The one who truly actually is more powerful than the economy of Thyatira saying these things. Hmm. Jesus also promises in verse 28 that he will give to the one who conquers the morning star. What is that reference? So the morning star is one of these things that is used in the scriptures to uh, talk about um, the planet Venus. Um, that's the star that kind of is like the last one, kind of is like the last one you see uh, before the sun dawns. Um, and so there are a couple places in the scriptures uh, where that is uh, mentioned. Um, Jesus himself in the book of Revelation at the close. So it's going to be a few weeks till we get to there. But our, our audience members will actually hear that, that Jesus himself speaks uh, of, of himself as the morning star. Um, but it was also used in the book of Isaiah uh, as a comparison to the king of Babylon. And, and of course, the king of Babylon kind of typified one of those great competitors. No, no, I, I'm in charge. I'm not the Lord. You know, Lord's not in charge. I'm in charge. My gods are in charge. My nation's in charge, right? Um, and in the book of Isaiah, it actually talks about that competitor being toppled. And here it might be, let's say, it's like, you know, those who conquer to the end, they actually know who really is the one um, who is supreme. We really know the one who is in charge. And we really know the one who actually is victorious, who actually has kingship, who actually has rule and authority. And the risen Christ says to his people, you endure through the end. You, you take it all the way to the end, and that authority is going to be shown. It's going to be displayed, and you will be, you'll be part of it. You want to be part of the kingdom where the supreme king is ruling. You want to be part of the kingdom where the king who is victorious over all his competitors uh, is ruling. And that's what he is extending to those who, um, who will conquer and keep his works until the end. Hmm. Now, Jesus closes with language that he's used in the previous letters, although it's, it's not shown up at the very end of each of the letters. Here it does, and it does in the rest of the letters. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches— have about two minutes here, Pastor Zimmerman. Take us into that phrase, use it to wrap things up so that we would have the ear to hear what Jesus has said in this letter. One of the things that we always talk about is that faith is more an ear matter than an eye matter. And when we look at receiving the words of Christ, that's where we have the words that lead to salvation and life. We have the words that include his promises, what will be. But, you know, when we hear those and, and we understand what they're saying, 
that sometimes we look at what's around us with our other senses, with, with our eyes, and we're like, ah, that's not quite lining up here, right? This, the, you know, he, oh, he's the supreme one, and he has power over death and things like that, but, but the church looks weak, and, and we're dealing with illnesses. Uh, well, thankfully, hopefully, no more pandemic, right? You know, we're, we're dealing with things like that. It, it doesn't look like it's matching up, and, and the Lord Jesus wants to say, he's like, there's wisdom here. Listen and hold on to the wisdom. Listen to what you have heard, words that have come from the one who is crucified and is alive, and hold on to that even as the things you might see don't always seem to line up with it. Because all will be revealed. All will be made known. All will be shown. You all take patience and endurance. And he says, you've already got endurance. These guys at Thyatira, they've already got that, right? That one of the things they, they, were, they were commended for. So, so keep on in that and hang on to the message you've received, the message that testifies about the person and work of Christ and ultimately what will be for his people and maybe not what these others are offering, no matter how appealing it, it might actually look. Pastor Luke Zimmerman is pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. He's been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. Pastor Zimmerman, thanks for being our guest today. Always glad to do so. I'm your host on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have questions about this letter to the church in Thyatira, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.